This is To Lead Is To Learn. In this very special episode, we will be talking to a real-life leader about their experiences of leadership and any thoughts and visions for the future. On today's episode... Like the way the universe is, each star can be seen as an opportunity. If you work hard and if you're willing to put in the hard work using your talent for the better of humanity, if you have a rate of progress of 1% per day, what, what you get is a 10x improvement year over year. The number one reason why companies fail is because founders give up. And we build only one to two companies a year. Climate change is a problem that is like solvable. You can extrapolate the past into the future. If the technology works, it can become a multi-billion dollar company. If it doesn't work, it's not going anywhere. You talked about the big challenges there. Unfuck the planet, make the world better, build utopia on Earth today. Um, because I mean, like we have the ability to do so and to do good in the world. Kind of invest a lot of money today to have a better future tomorrow. Without further ado, here's Christian Schroeder. Serial entrepreneur, angel investor in tech and impact companies, and CEO and founder of 10x Value Partners and Utopia Capital Management. So my first question is, every leader has their own story of how they've reached their current level. Can you give a brief summary of your journey that you've taken to get to where you are now? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. And thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, so personally, I've been an entrepreneur and investor for over 10 years, been involved in over 50 different companies, mostly as an investor. But I was actually also actively involved in building a number of technology companies as a CEO, a C-level executive. So when I was 21, um, I took a big leap and um, worked with an investment group from Germany to pioneer the concept of e-commerce in several countries in South Asia. Um, and there I took over a team as a CEO of 10 people and we rapidly scaled this business into six countries and over 400 people. So this was like really an opportunity for me uh, to gain a lot of leadership skills in a rapid period of time. Uh, before that, I was also having like smaller entrepreneurial experiences, um, starting smaller businesses, managing like five, 10 people here and there. And so that provided like the kind of like the groundwork, I would say, for enabling me to, to manage these large teams. And from there onwards, what I focused on is this kind of coaching and mentoring other founders. Uh, building their businesses either in the capacity of an investor or in the capacity of a, of a board member or founding investor working extremely closely with companies. I, I, I would say over the last eight years, I've worked extremely closely with over 15 companies, um, uh, coaching the CEO and the leadership team. Um, and for that, I was able to, to gain a lot of additional leadership experience. I would say within the wider like 10x value partners group, uh, we have um, around a thousand plus people now. Um, so it has become quite large. And uh, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of challenges and, and learnings, of course, that we can talk about later. I mean, that's very impressive that you took that step at 21. That's very young. So you've had a meteoric rise very early on in your career. What do you put that down to? Look, I've been always like an ambitious person and I really um, enjoy personally the journey of doing things and um, tackling challenges and doing more and growing constantly. Um, for me, kind of like that's how I see the purpose of life uh, to an extent um, to, to grow and overcome challenges. Um, so that's why I was always like very ambitious to to pursue um, uh, projects.
So what was your first position that you can put down that you started learning your leadership approach? I would say that was, um, I, I would say it's like very difficult to pinpoint a very specific um, situation. Um, if I had to pick one when I was, um, I mean, I'm coming from an entrepreneurial family. And when I was 18, my father asked me to participate in an investment of his which was like a hospitality business in Germany. And um, there I became the managing director of that. Um, it was like a bar in one of the busiest streets in, in one of the major cities in Cologne, uh, in, in Germany, in Cologne. And um, there I was in charge of like managing a smaller team of like 10 people, which I would say is like the, the real first leadership experience I've had in a business context. I was running that for two years and it was a lot of learning by doing. Um, and I would say that was like the first leadership experience I had at age 18. That's, that's pretty young. And you probably had quite a lot of people that were older than you. How did you approach that dynamic? Look, I think like my uh, philosophy of managing people who are older than you or more experienced is that you really need to show the people that you can help them and that you're committed to help them and enable them to do their job better uh, so that they can clearly see the value in you as a leader uh, and they feel empowered and enabled i think that's the 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 right way to handle people with uh with a higher seniority or more experience so what would you say is the difference between a manager and management and a leader and leadership? Is there a clear distinction between the two for you? I would definitely so uh, say so. I wouldn't say that the distinction is, is very clear. I think it gets fuzzy uh, and, and there are a lot of varying definitions. So for me, like a leader is someone who is really committed to to making the team succeed by by also contributing to the work results. For example, like a CEO who is in the trenches with the sales team uh, to generate the monthly numbers that are required. I mean, that's a leader, someone who who is not just telling the team what to do, but also works with the team to get the results. A manager, I would say, is someone more passive who is directing tasks and activities to his inferiors um, and it's a it's a clearer power dynamic um, that is highly distinct between the manager and the employee does that make sense yeah yeah I, I completely agree with exactly what you just said there it's kind of reaffirming to my belief as well so you've been involved in many companies, you said, in your early career, as well as investing in quite a lot of startups. Um, so through your involvement, you've been able to grow these companies. Um, what is your toolkit or Swiss army knife, if you like, of success that you have learned to use, which allows you to achieve this growth? So I think like um, my overall philosophy of entrepreneurship um, and, and building companies is that Building companies is a series of problem solving. Each day you're faced with new challenges, decisions that you need to make. And the better you manage to, to kind of like solve those challenges, uh, the more growth and success you can incinerate. So, so really like what it comes down to is, is solving the challenges that you face in the best possible way. And, and for that, there are a couple of tools you can use. I mean, one of the tools, for example, I call it the five minute expert call. Um, so you should cultivate a network of people, mentors, peers that have faced similar challenges before. So if, uh, if you face like a problem, but you don't know the solution, that's fine. You need to just realize this and find the right people in your network who can help you with, with like, getting guidance on solving the problem. In other instances, what you need to do is just you need to sit down, look at the data, look at the numbers, be highly analytical and data-driven and figure out the right course of action through through like brute force analysis. In other cases, it's better to, um, to get like a consensus opinion and like survey 
a large number of people to get like a representative decision. But I would say like what it comes down to, and those were like three examples, is like improving really the quality of your decision-making as an entrepreneur to see growth and success. I mean, like when it comes to me personally, um, I can be like really this five-minute expert for a lot of the founders that we work with because we have seen so many challenges across like companies, how to know if someone is like the right person, deciding in what geographies to expand, uh, evaluating the terms of an investment, which are proposed by like an institutional investor. Um, so like they're, they're, they're like really like there's a myriad of, of permutations of like things that we have seen over the last 10 years across the 50 different companies so that I can really act as this like Swiss army knife of giving like good guidance on almost any type of, of problem a company faces and a decision that needs to be made. And that goes back into the arc of, of like this series of quality decisions that you need to make to become successful as an entrepreneur. The three approaches that you you listed there specifically, the five-minute expert call, the looking at the data and being analytic and getting a like, consensus from other people, they're all outward looking. So it's almost encouraging entrepreneurs to not just stay within themselves, but to seek expert guidance elsewhere. Exactly. I think it's important to to be humble and to be cognizant that you don't have all the solutions in yourself. I think you can find them spread across the world. I think like a saying I like to say is that like almost every problem has been solved before. So you just need to find the solution somewhere. I think like what you can do within yourself. And I think that's where you want to go, Chris, with this question is like just to, to build this mindset that like you don't need to know all the solutions. Uh, but also find the willpower to to sustain like difficult periods. So the number one reason why companies fail is actually, and that's something that, that has been found uh, in scientific literature, is because founders give up. So I think like to build like this very strong mental mindset of of sustaining periods of difficulty and hardship is is one of like the key traits of a leader to to make a company successful. Yeah. I love the quote that you brought up there that almost every problem has been solved before. Like even in the ever-changing world of business, would you say there's no problem that can come up that a similar one hasn't been faced before? So I think like the clear exception to this is like hard science problems. So things that like really are pushing like the the edge of of of, of cutting edge innovations with so things such as like nuclear fusion, uh, artificial general intelligence, complex like uh, biomedical and health problems, uh, um, advancing longevity. So, so these are things that are like really cutting edge science, uh, which are science problems that haven't been solved. But the more mundane problems like, how do I hire the right person for position X? Um, how do I... Um, close like my first uh, enterprise client? How do I transition from founder-led sales to like a more scalable sales infrastructure? So these are all like, how do I do content? I could go on for like hours and hours. I mean, these are all problems that have been solved before. So I would say, except if it's like a very hard science problem, uh, most likely it has been solved before. So within your your current company, 10x Value Partners, you invest in organizations at early stages. What do you look for in those companies here? So I think like we have distinguished between like two things. So we have two activities within 10x Value Partners. Um, firstly, it's investing, um, but we also create companies from scratch, kind of like co-creating a business with founders. So when we talk about the co-creation, which is really the main focus here, 
kind of like what we do um, is like very deep research of um, of large market trends um, industries, and we try to identify the the opportunities to create new billion dollar companies. Um, and that and that would even be like in a very large existing industry that is undergoing tremendous change, or a new up and coming industry um, that is um, that is uh, that is growing extremely rapidly. So, for example, right now we are looking a lot at the market of of like uh, climate change mitigation, which is which has holds a tremendous potential and is growing super rapidly. So for these kind of markets, we then look for the right people uh, to team up with, with us to, to tackle this market and to build a leading company. Um, so what we are looking for in a single world, I would say, is, um, is something that I call a product founder market fit. So we want to have the right idea, the right product paired with the right founder who applies to us. Um, paired with the, the right market opportunity that we have identified for our research. I mean, each year, roughly, we have like 1,000, 1,500 people applying to us to become a founder. Um, so through this, like we have really a very good um, choice of people who we want to work with. We can afford to be highly selective and uh, also get the pairing of opportunities, markets, and, and founders right. Um, so that's like the first activity of 10X. And, and here we are looking really for the overall market potential, an unfair advantage that we might hold in capturing this market potential and finding a founder or a founding team that has a very high degree of fit with the opportunities that we plan to pursue. So this is like the first activity of the company building. When it comes to investing, uh, which we also do, we invest in around 10 to 20 companies each year um, of like companies that are already up and running existing. There are like two, three main things we look out for. The first thing is the quality of the founding team. So do we believe that these people really have the capabilities, experience, and willpower to make the company successful. That's the first criterion. The second criterion is that we we focus a lot on the traction and numbers. So we um, like to, or like it's my, one of my beliefs that like you can extrapolate the past into the future. And um, I think people who are like iterating quickly, who have a very fast speed of progress, rate of progress, they will also make fast progress in the future, um, resulting in like a lot of growth and a big success. So we look at the the traction and the, the rate of growth. Um, and then I think like the third thing that we really like to access is like the fundamental viability of the business. So, so we look at does this market exist? What is the competitive landscape like? Is there like a room for new entrants? Um, if we scale this company, make it very big, will it be meaningfully profitable? So there are like a lot of businesses where you can build a very large company like grocery delivery, but where the margins are extremely small. So even if you win the market, your the the value of what you've built will not be very large. I think like then there on the other hand, there are technology businesses with a very big moat. Moat means it's an entry barrier or something that prevents other people from from entering the market. That can be intellectual property, network effects, um, or or some other factors. Um, like a brand is a weaker kind of moat. Um, so, so I would say to, to wrap this up, we're looking at the quality of the founder team, the traction, the numbers, and then the overall viability of the idea. So when you're looking at the quality of the founder team in particular and the capabilities, experience, the willpower, you say, 
are you looking for someone who can lead it independently? Something, someone that you don't need to put too much input and leadership in yourself? Look, I think like when it comes to the investments that we do, I think that's it's a must. Um, so we want to back people with previous experience or with like strong indicators that they are able to lead and scale a team. When it comes to the companies that we build from scratch due to our stronger involvement, I mean, we always almost act like uh, additional co-founders to the team. I think there is more room to develop people and to to coach them. Um, typically, what we see is, for example, that we have people who have very strong experience in the domain, such as like consulting, investment banking, or like uh, industry experience, um, or people with like experience working in a startup, but not experience of being like a CEO of a company. And due to our like deeper involvement in these companies that we build, I mean, we build only one to two companies a year, we can provide more coaching and mentorship to those founders and CEOs. So I, I think like we, we can be a bit more flexible and um, risk taking when it comes to the companies that we build from scratch. But in, in general, I think we want to select very strong people. I mean, as I mentioned, we have like a thousand, well, 1,500 applications each year. We are selecting like at maximum, like four or five people out of those. So as you can, might be able to imagine, uh, we, are, we are selecting like the top of the crop. Yeah. So you, you've got your companies that you're building, you've got your companies you're investing in. 10X itself must have a quite a big leadership team in order to manage all of that. How do you select the people that work for 10X in part of your leadership team that you can put in place? Look, I think like what we are looking for within our own team is, um, is, is excellence. So we are looking for people who have like a track record over their career of, um, of like very strong achievements, big achievements, big successes. Um, and people who also are hungry to, to, to be even more successful and who are motivated by the prospect of success itself. Um, and, uh, we were also looking for people who are very dedicated and impact driven. So who really enjoy the process of building companies and, uh, and helping and, and mentoring founders. And um, yeah, to an extent, also making the world better for the companies that we built. So you've mentioned coaching quite a bit within the discussion so far. What does coaching look like for you? I think there's like a lot of different definitions that I could come up for coaching. I would try like a, a new one. I think like coaching allows the person that you coach to borrow your brain and get a fresh perspective on, on the problems or like issues, challenges that they are looking to overcome. Um, and I think through a dialogue, you can really develop like a novel perspective and hopefully like overcome like the problem like the person who wants to be coached is facing and and help them to find a solution that they are happy with and that they can employ in an actionable manner do you see a distinction between coaching and mentoring or do you think there's an, an element of overlap there look i would say that um, there is definitely an element of overlap I think if I would say like what, what, what the key distinction for me would be is that like mentoring has a very long-term focus. Um, so basically a mentor would provide guidance for a, a large part of your career over a longer period of time, looking at a 10, 20 year horizon. Whereas a coach is like much more focused on solving a short-term problem or helping you with the status quo. So a mentor, I would say, can also be a coach, 
but a coach cannot be a mentor if that makes sense in in the way I would define it. Yeah, I, I like that sort of giving you different way of approaching the questions that someone might ask. Absolutely. So you have your own set of success principles, which you work by, um, which you've instilled into 10X. Can you talk us through these and how your leadership approach ensures that these are consistently applied? Um, Absolutely. I mean, like I've developed many principles over the years. I would say let's focus on three principles that I think are really the most impactful uh, principles um, here to, to achieve success um, and growth. So I think like the first thing is like the 10x principle, uh, which has inspired the name for my company. So basically what the 10x principle implies is if you, if you have a rate of progress of 1% per day, or spread around uh, 230 working days a year, what you get is a 10x improvement year over year, which is like then, I mean, if you improve 10x every year, I mean, you're, you're top, top in the world. Um, there are very few like companies or like entities, leaders, people who can achieve and like sustain this 10x growth rate. And if you then like go a level deeper and think about what, what means 1% level of progress. I mean, progress is execution. Execution is consisting out of two things. It's making decisions, one, and two, acting on the decisions and implementation. So, so what it really comes down to in this like rate of progress is, is decision making, the quality of decision making, speed of decision making, and then implementing those decisions well and quickly. Um, so I think like, and, and that is like actually also something that you see with some of the most successful companies in the world, like, like Uber, um, and, and it's also akin to what like Reed Hoffman said in his book, Blitzscaling is like, you want to have this very strong bias for action, but also like use, use data and like the other things that I've explained before as part of like the Swiss army knife. Uh, to make like high quality decisions. So bias the action paired with, with high quality decision leads to 10x growth. So that's the 10x principle. It's like one of the, the principles that I use. I think like the second success principle that I have is like the concept of opportunity universe. So basically the concept implies that everywhere around us like the like the way the universe is there are opportunities each star can be seen as an opportunity that that is out there but i mean like if you if you are in a city with like bright lights looking in the night sky you barely see any stars so like most of the opportunities are hidden for you so so what you need is like you need the right tools you need the right expert like like a telescope you need the right people so like astronomers to to point you to the opportunities so people but also location i mean if you go out into the desert you can see all the stars so like location tools people around you are things that can like expand your network of opportunities your opportunity universe and 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 just being very cognition about the factors that can help you to to discover new opportunities and constantly change your set of most attractive opportunities that you might want to pursue i think that would be like the second success principle that i have um, that i use for like 10x and um, I think like it's actually a concept that I've taught a number of people who who found great success. And um, yeah, on my blog on Medium, you can find like a more detailed uh, description of like the Opportunity Universe concepts. I encourage you to check that out. Yeah, but I mean like then that, that's the second principle. So first one, the 10x principle of growth, uh, bias for action and quality decision making. The second one, Opportunity Universe finding the right opportunities, using the right tools, um, guidance, and, and, and being in the right location. And the last principle here would be the, the, like the mindset of assuming responsibility. 
So I go to an extent about like assuming responsibility for every bad outcome that happens in my life that is like almost utterly ridiculous. So to give you like a, a concrete example, if, if I, if I would walk the street, uh, the light would be green. Uh, I would be allowed to go and like a car would like hit me. I would still think it's my fault because like I could have before I passed the road checked if someone is coming in a business context. Like if I would send a calendar invite to someone to meet for coffee, um, they wouldn't show up for the meeting. I would still assume it's my fault because. I could have sent them an email before to confirm or to reconfirm the meeting. So I think like this mindset of assuming responsibility for all the bad outcomes, it's very powerful in pushing you to build systems, routines into your life and work habits to, to, to achieve only good results to sort of ensure that over time you build processes to avoid the bad outcomes. So it's like a continuous improvement feedback loop, so to say. And, and I think that would be like the third, uh, third leadership principle that I use to assume responsibility personally for everything that happens in my life and business and to work constantly towards building system and routines to optimize the outcomes. Looking at those three from an external perspective, I'm seeing a a growth mindset in the last one i'm seeing a sort of wider vision in the second one and i'm seeing quality decision making in the first one so i'm seeing a lot of really good leadership practices sort of wrapped up into your three how many more do you have if you have these three principles how many more principles would you say you have look i'm right now in the, the process of like really writing these these down i mean there's like a lot of tested knowledge of what i've learned over the years uh, and and discovered um I, I think like there is like probably a dozen more um if you want i can give you a fourth one which is kind of like a concept that i've adopted from like stock investing and trading into into the real life so which is like a stop loss order so when you buy a stock um, and say like Apple, you buy it $200 a share, you can put in a stop loss order at like, let's say 180. And if the stock goes below 180, kind of um, you automatically sell the stock and liquidate your position and you lose 10%. But except for extremely fringe circumstances, you can never lose more than 10%. So it's like um, what I believe, and I think many people believe this, is like that value of time and value of money are kind of equivalent. So in our daily life, we face situations of uncertainty. So for example, let's take a mundane example. You're waiting for the bus. You have no information if the bus will show up, when the bus will show up. The schedule, at least in Germany, the schedules are very unreliable. So the concept of the stop loss order here would mean you wait five minutes. If the bus doesn't show up, you order a taxi because like you've lost five minutes of your time. You need to take action. So this is like the stop loss order. Stop losing your time. I think in a business context, what you could do is let me think about an example. It's like if you. If you email someone requesting a proposal or waiting for their reply, you don't hear back in two days, you need to find an alternative. So like kind of like employing this, this mindset that you ex ante, that's like the very important point. You, you, you don't want to decide it after the fact, but you want to decide it when you act. You want to know like at what point you, you will discard the plan A and switch to plan B. That's like the concept of the stop loss order in, in, in the real life context. Yeah, I, I like that one. I think that that's a great analogy. I love your the one for the bus and waiting for the bus. If it doesn't come, you invest in the taxi because your your time is just as valuable as your money. And especially in 
business if you're going to work or you're going to a meeting being five minutes late you know being 10 minutes late is way worse than being five minutes late exactly So in terms of your business, then you've had these principles embedded into 10x already. I mean, I would say so. So I think like this principle of, of the 10x growth and the opportunity universe, it's, it's things that I've discovered like very early in my life uh, or like uh, during my university studies. Um, basically, like when I had a bit more time to think about the broader like concepts of how the world functions, like the fundamental web of the world. Um, and I've always used this, these concepts to, to like, uh, drive the way I work. I mean, 10x value partners, it's to a large extent driven by me. I think some of the other concepts that I, I found them over the years and I'm like constantly trying to learn, adopt new concepts. So like one way, and I, I mean, that's like a pattern that you have might have like um, spotted before is that I try to take concepts from one context, like the stop loss order from trading and apply them to another context where it's conventionally not used, but where, but where like this concept from, from one domain can be very um, beneficial when being applied to another domain um i think that's actually like um it comes a bit from 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 like research i've also done and like the fact that a lot of like nobel laureates they they make their scientific discoveries taking insights from one domain applying them to a new domain so like um applying mathematics to psychology gives you game theory um and also like applying let's say if we look at like uh, steve jobs applying principles of design um and like the creative process to like hardware gives us the iphone so like this methodology of of like marrying bringing together different disciplines i think it's like how you how you can come up with innovative leadership principles as well. I think there's an element of creativity in what you're doing, which I think must be a value that you hold personally. Uh, definitely. I would see myself as a very creative person. Uh, I think like it's, it's definitely also something, I mean, like, like what is useful as a skill that is useful as a leader to develop. And I think it's it's also possible to develop creativity, stimulate creativity. Because like if we go back to what I said earlier, entrepreneurship and leadership is a series of problem solving. So creativity obviously is one of the factors driving the quality of your decision making because you see solutions that other people might overlook or not be able to see. So you have a larger opportunity universe, larger set of decisions or actions that you can take what other values would you say would make your core values which you take into your entrepreneurship your leadership so look i mean like in in terms of values uh, there are a couple of things that are really important to me um the first one is like uh, like fairness and meritocracy so kind of i believe that the world is fundamentally a kind of like fair place especially in the long run so if you if you work hard and if you're willing to put in the hard work and uh, and not give up i think like you will get what you deserve in the long run um i think like another thing that i believe is that like the future will be better than the past so i have sort of this optimism for the future and i believe that like with with the tools of entrepreneurship innovations many of the challenges that right now we feel is like 
are very hard to overcome, such as like climate change, world hunger, lack of affordable housing, etc. And those are like fields that we're actually investing in with our new firm, Utopia Capital, which mission is to build utopia on Earth today. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I have this optimism for the future. Um, then another thing is that like I believe in in um, yeah, contrarian thinking and innovation. So I believe that like we need new ideas to to overcome the challenges that I mentioned before, and that we need to have the kind of like almost audacity to think that we can do things in a better way than they are being done today. Um, and um, yeah, I mean like. Um, I believe sort of like if you put the right put puzzle pieces together, so it comes back to like product founder market fit. So like the right idea, the right team in the right market, you can really create something meaningful, unfuck the planet, make the world better. And uh, yeah, I mean like uh, have a lot of success as a as a team, as a leader. It very much sounds like when you go through your your values there, it sounds like you are living out your values, which it's very refreshing to hear that someone has got this cemented values and they have built, you've built your entire work life on this. Um, you said you got your utopia capital management business. You talked about the big challenges there. So what inspired you to take that challenge? Was there a moment that you just went, this is what we need to do now? Look, I mean, like kind of like what I was, thinking about last year is that um i mean like i've built like a lot of companies now i've got multiple businesses that are in the range of of being worth a hundred million dollars or more um i've got uh, a number of like successful exits so what i was really thinking about last year was what will i do with the with the next 10 20 years of my life and i mean of course i could just like continued building and investing in more companies that just make money. And I mean, I'm, I'm still doing that, but I also was thinking, what can I do with, with my time that has can have like a meaningful impact on the world and, and solve big problems. And what I see with a lot of the entrepreneurs that have these ideas to solve like the big issues in the world is that they are more like people who are brilliant scientifically but who sometimes lack the business experience of how to turn like a hardware or a technology product into a large-scale business so i see a lot of opportunity to partner with those entrepreneurs and and coach and mentor them with the leadership experience that i have had to jointly turn what their idea into a large company also with the help of capital that we can provide um, and and then that's what inspired me to create a utopia capital um because i mean like we have the ability to do so and to do good in the world and i think like if you are very good at something i think there's kind of almost like this moral obligation of using your talent for the better of humanity um which which i see i mean that's something that i believe many people believe this uh, in silicon valley in the world um so i think like just i mean the, the simple answer is because i can and because i enjoy it In terms of the Utopia Capital Management, and that appears to have grown out of 10x, as well as your reflecting and wanting to do the better for humanity, it appears to have grown out of 10x in the fact that you've identified there are these people that don't have the skills that you have, that if you partnered with, they could progress further. Is is that right to infer? Exactly, yeah. And I mean, like, what we do with 10x is is, like, really more like this focus on on scaling companies so i think like if you would say it's like a one to 100 or one to infinity 
type of innovations um and whereas with with like uh, utopia we 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 like looking at companies that have like a zero to one risk so kind of like taking technology risk um if the technology works it can become a multi-billion dollar company if it doesn't work it's not going anywhere um so like fundamentally when it comes to the degree of risk we are willing to take with utopia versus 10x i think like with utopia we are comfortable taking a lot more risk and different risks versus 10x value partners which is why we created this new entity and brand for our impact driven investments so you've highlighted world hunger homelessness climate change as some really big sort of problems that we're facing at the moment how far away from your experience and your involvement in the sector how far away do you think we are from actually solving them mm, look i think like the most difficult one of those is like uh, to solve is like affordable housing because i mean when it comes to housing looking at the from a first principles perspective even if you bring down the cost of housing you can never bring it down to to nothing i think like what what we are seeing now in the world is with free i mean like if you fundamentally look at at the price of housing it's a derivative of the of the the value of the properties so how much it costs to build and buy like a a piece of land and to put a home a house on it so it's the cost of the real estate plus the cost of the building materials i mean what we see now is like innovative solution that allows us to to put like uh, housing anywhere in the world regardless of grid connections due to like solar power uh, water generation wastewater treatment systems i've invested in a company called arcbuild which builds the most sustainable and grid independent home in the world which we can put anywhere we can put it like in a in a wasteland and it will work so this is bringing down the cost of real estate and the creation which features back into the cost of of living and the affordability of living but fundamentally we will never be able even with the most scalable efficient processes to to make the cost of housing zero but i think we can slash the cost of housing by probably like 50 to 80 uh, percent compared to where it is now especially if people would have flexibility on where they live if they don't need to live in la san francisco new york but they can also live in in a very nice countryside um when it comes to world hunger i think like what we will see this is my strong hypothesis is that we will see an exponential decrease in the cost of food similar to to what we've seen with like computing and computer chips driven by technologies such as like precision fermentation artificial meat uh, which is grown in reactors um and technologies such as like biostimulants fertilizers um, i've invested in one company called agrarius which uh, has developed a biostimulant that can massively boost like crop yields and crop productivity um there are other technologies that we are looking at uh boosting like crop yields so i wouldn't be surprised over the next decade if it's possible to increase the productivity of of like agriculture and farms by a hundred percent or more like effectively doubling the food that we have in the world and then like if we look at the the other technologies and where the food is going uh, a lot of the food is going towards like feeding livestock and if we can if we can grow meat um, in reactors which i mean it, it it has come down a lot i mean the cost of like an artificial hamburger many years ago used to be like $800,000. Now the cost of an artificial hamburger patty is around like $8. Uh, so we've already seen this, this cost curve, the exponential cost decrease, similar to what we have seen with computer chips. Um, I, I think like that will also save a lot of resources and have all of us to have more like soy, grain, wheat uh, to feed the people. 
So I think like if you if you look at those two trends combined, I think like world hunger, even if population continues to increase, is like a thing uh, that we can very comfortably solve. I think when it comes to climate change, really here what is needed is like more investment. I think like uh, climate change is a problem that is like solvable just based on on the on the on the hard like underlying pieces like if you think about it first principles we just need to to cut the existing emissions for this we need investments into decarbonizing the emitting infrastructure the transportation infrastructure uh, that's like energy generation power generation uh, agriculture cement cement is i think eight percent or three percent of global carbon emissions so I think like if you focus 80, 20 on like 10, 20 industries, I think you can cut 80, 90% of global carbon emissions and methane uh, emissions and other things. So I think like what's needed here is just a lot of investment. And we are talking here trillions of dollars. Uh, we have done some calculations at Utopia Capital estimating if we would invest kind of like 2% of, of global GDP over sustained periods of 40, 50 years, it, it would be possible to mitigate most of the impacts of climate change, potentially even reverse the climate change that has already happened today. So I think this is more like a problem of like collective willpower and government action to, to kind of invest a lot of money today to have a better future tomorrow. And I think like kind of like a modulating factor for this and the amount of money we need to invest is like the rate of technological progress and innovations, which will, I mean, there are like a lot of innovations that are in the making right now. Uh, many people are not aware of them. There are innovations none of us is aware because they will only be invented in five years. But if we feature this unknown, known, which is like the future innovations that will exist to mitigate climate change. I think it's definitely something that that can happen if we just invest trillions of dollars into solving the problem. So other than investment, which is huge and there needs to be a call for action for that, what else do you think we are missing to solve these three problems, in particular climate change? What else are we missing? Look, I mean, like... Uh, I think like I would stand by my answer. I mean, like, I've, of course, it's, you can always say, okay, we, every one of us needs to stop eating meat or needs to take the train instead of the plane. I think like it's very hard to, to change human behavior uh, and, and to change everyone's behavior. Uh, I think also in emerging markets, I mean, there is like a very high level of poverty and people just want to improve the standard of living. The richest 1% in the world uh, emit 30 times as many carbon as like the poorest 50 on a per capita basis. So I think like the, the poor people, they want to become rich. Um, so they will emit more carbon. Uh, so I think like changing the behavior of people uh, is a very childish view of like solving this problem. I think what we need to do is make it profitable to solve this problem so that the big money can come in. And, um, and uh, I mean, like the invisible hand uh, solves the problem. Uh, the market solves the problem. It needs to be profitable to solve the problem of climate change. And um, I think like then it comes again down to how much money do we invest? If we invest, I mean, right now, every year we invest like $1 trillion globally in the decarbonization of the economy. I think we need to bring this to two, $2 trillion and then grow it progressively from there. Um, so how much money do we invest in the decarbonization of the economy and how efficient is this? So like, what's the bang that we get for the buck? And I mean, the efficiency is largely driven by innovations, which are now in the childhood stage or baby stage. I mean, some innovations, I mean, such as solar and, and renewable energies and battery technology, they have been around for much longer. 
and 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 they are now like cost competitive or even cheaper than fossil fuel power generation. So I think like uh, yeah, I mean it, it, it's basically the amount of money we invest and how efficiently that is spent, how much bang we get for the buck. And I mean the the greater the rate of innovation, and that's something we are trying to fuel with Utopia. Um, the faster and the more likely we can solve climate change, if that makes sense. So would you say that some companies and governments are taking the childish view that people need to change their behavior then rather than taking the adult perspective of let's invest in getting ourselves out of this problem? I mean, I think so. I mean, in the end, it's all about results and ensuring that you get the results that are needed. And I think like... uh, it's 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 probably it's more feasible to invest in the in the solution and and fight the problem with money versus doing like a behavioral intervention and uh, and trying to to make people do something they don't want and go against like the interests uh, the survival instinct and the I mean deeply ingrained human behavior or like like will to have a better life and to enjoy life um so i think like also it's a very profitable investment i think like there are projections that if uh that i mean like if you look at the two trillion dollars needed every year um to to mitigate climate change if we don't do this uh I mean, the, the, the impacts of climate change could cost us like 10 to 20 trillion dollars in, in GDP by 2100 per year. It's a figure I got from Morgan Stanley. Um, or it could cost us like 10 trillion in, in damages per year. So we get a, a 5x bang for the buck with the technologies kind of we, we have today. So might 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 get higher the returns i think it's a very sound investment and i think i think like the behavioral intervention can work but it should not be the plan a i think it's a nice to have um i think like the real solution here is it's just large-scale investment in fighting the problem Going back to you as a, an entrepreneur, as a leader, you have such a diverse portfolio. Um, your time must be massively challenged and drawn in so many different directions. How do you manage your work-life balance? Look, I mean, like the kind of mindset that I'm adopting for this is is like a mindset also of like continuous improvements of routines and systems. Um I, I, I try to build a very strong team of people around me that I can trust and that could can help me with with taking over different tasks. And then for each task that that remains, or like everything that remains, kind of it's either something that requires my brain power to solve this very specific problem, or like I have the best to solve it. So these are the type of tasks that I like to do something that i deeply enjoy so this is more like the life aspect of work-life balance everything else like mundane tasks like doing my laundry ordering my meals organizing my day-to-day life uh, i go to a ridiculous extent uh, with this i try to automate it uh, so that i uh, don't need to take care of this and i think like i cannot remember the last time i walked into a grocery store um I think it was like maybe eight months ago when I was on vacation. Um, so yeah, I mean, like having a lot of automation to free up time. I mean, it's of course all expensive. So you need a certain income to automate on that level. I think I've, I spent probably every month, like a couple of thousand dollars on, on just like these automation features to free up time. But like that enables me to spend every wake minute really on just things that I either enjoy doing giving me pleasure or things that's gonna have like a deep value impact on on the businesses that i i run so you said you built a strong team 
I ask every guest this that comes onto my show. Um, what would it feel like if you were to put yourself in your shoes of someone who follows you to experience your leadership, to be led by you? I mean, like, look, I mean, I can only hypothesize what like people would feel. Um, but like, I would assume people uh, would see me as like an ambitious leader, like we really pushing them and expecting like a high standard of excellence. I would say like I, they would definitely see me as demanding, but also like a collaborative enabling and, and like really having a very honest um, way of working and just doing everything in a productive um, and uh, goal-oriented manner. So looking into the future then, let's go forwards 10, 20 years. What does the future hold for you personally? Okay, I think it's very hard to predict the future. Um, I think it's not impossible, by the way, to uh, predict the future, but that's a topic for another day. Um, so I would say like, it, it's very hard to predict where I would be in 10, 20 years. I can tell you where I would like to be in in one or two years but i mean the rate of progress and innovation and what hap what's happening in the world is like ever increasing in terms of like speed uh so it, like one of the craziest scenarios might be that like uh, in 20 years every one of us lives in a virtual reality that is customized to your personal preferences and everyone lives the happiest and most enjoyable life possible in a in a computer simulation uh, with with AI enabled uh, NPCs, um, I don't know. Like I mean, like this is a scenario that which is crazy. But I I just want to make the point that it's impossible to predict the future with the rate of technological progress that we see right now. Um, so I think like what I want to do, going back to your question, is I want to enjoy the journey of building things uh, investing in great companies working with inspiring visionary entrepreneurs and make the world better so like just have like a very enjoyable challenging journey over the next 20 years and have made like a lot of progress from where, where i are today versus where i will be in 10 20 years if we look at the bigger picture then what would you like your legacy to be Look, I mean, like in terms of legacy, um, I mean, what motivates me is just to to do good things for the world, use my my skills and talents to to have like a positive impact. So I would love to see that as many people get positively impacted through the companies that we are building and investing in. Um, I also would love my legacy to be to have inspired like a lot of like people, uh, leaders to become better versions of themselves, better leaders and or like just better operators, better at operating their own lives, making decisions for their personal life, um, just positively impacting a, a large number of people. I mean, that's also a reason why I'm on your podcast today is that's that's one of the things that that i hope to leave as a legacy to the world so as a final parting question i like to ask any guest that comes onto my show what is the most important lesson or piece of advice which you've learned that you could give a young leader that's just starting in their journey i think it's a good question um i think like one of the most important pieces of advice i would give is Sometimes it's useful when you, when you face a problem and then if you're struggling to just pause, take a step back and rationally analyze the situations, um, map the different permutations, decision possibilities, understand why you are in the situation, uh, just to find a good solution. So like the ability to to take a step back and take a bird's eye view on the problem do you have any final thoughts for us um no i mean chris i really enjoyed our conversation it was a great pleasure i really liked your questions 
challenging me a bit. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it, it's a good Monday morning uh, exercise. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I really appreciate being on the show. Um, of course, like, um, yeah, I mean, I would, uh, if, 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 if anything that I've said resonated with any of your listeners, I mean, I would appreciate a uh, follow on LinkedIn, uh, follow on Medium. Um, I'm, I'm like quite easy to engage with. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, like we, uh, we always like to engage with people who share the same vision and mission like us. Excellent. And we will include each of those links in the description for this podcast. So thank you very much. No worries, Chris. Um, great pleasure. And thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. And until next time, remember, to lead requires us to continuously 